You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to the brilliant Trig V. Wakenshaw. Now I must apologise for my hungover state. Uh, this was at the very end of the Edinburgh Festival just past. This is the last of the, uh, the Edinburgh Festival recordings I made and uh, you can very much tell it's the end of the festival. So sorry about the quality of my voice and uh, I don't think the quality of the interview suffers. In fact, who knows? Let me know, uh, tweet me at comcompod or email me info at comedianscomedian.com if you think I'm better when I'm hungover and together we can stamp out this sober Stuart Goldsmith menace. Uh, I think it worked out in the end. This is the brilliant Trig V. Wakenshaw. I did, I did a gig in New Zealand that was... Um, it was these kind of comedy award things and so, and it was being filmed, and so all the like house lights were up more than usual. And backstage, all the comics were just going like, "Oh my god, I can see all the audience. It's really, it's, re- it's really tough." I'm like, "What are you guys talking about? You you have to see the audience, right?" They're like, "No, no, no. I like it when it's just lights in my eyes, and it's like I'm performing to a big black void." That's weird, isn't it? It's yes. so weird. And yes. it's like, but then how do you? So you just stand there with your eyes closed and talk. And hope laughter happens rather than going like, hey, we're in a funny time. There's definitely a sensitive two-way process even when you can't see them. And maybe it's heightened because you're listening to their reactions. Maybe. But it it does seem to me to speak more from the stand-ups I know who like to work like that. I think it's motivated more by them saying, I don't want to see them. And, um, And I wonder, I suppose my instinct is that that is born of tough gigs wankers in the audience people you know what you don't want to see is someone bored looking at their shoes when you're hitting your stride and you're work you're rocking 90 percent of the room yeah you can't help but focus on that one person that's picking their teeth or rolling their eyes or whatever yeah i suppose if you eliminate the audience then it stops that from happening so how do you feel about working in front of an audience when people aren't going for it are you i I like it i yeah I can understand being thrown by that one guy. Like, I get a little bit thrown by that one guy who's just not happy. But then, but I quite like playing the game of, like, okay, buddy, this show is for you. And forget about the other 90% that are having a nice time because they're, you've won them. You just want to work on this, like, horrible guy who's sitting there with a frown on his face not enjoying you. And how you... And you can... And it's so satisfying when you win and you turn them and you see them, like, kind of give up and be like, okay, funny guy. Yeah. It's so satisfying. But you you can't always win. No, you can't always win, but you 
try really hard. And when you don't win, how do you feel about that? How is that? What's the emotional thing of like giving your all? And your all, in your case, is sweat <laughs> and lot. nudity, and it's a lot, <laughs> you know. Um, but you're you've just given it everything you can, and you've focused on that one person. And if it doesn't work, do you do you get in a like? Do you ever find yourself getting angry with them, or? Do you do you no. resent them or do you feel sorry for them because you're the sort of lovely archetypal clown guy and they didn't find the love today? What is it? I don't know. No, I think I think I just you know you let them win. You go like if you've worked really hard to beat them and they still have nothing, you're like, well, okay, you won this round, buddy, but I'll come back. <laughs> Optimism, so, <laughs> yeah. And then I get because then at that point you've probably started losing the rest of the yeah, ninety well, percent that were <laughs> that were into you, and you're like, okay, sorry, buddy, I got to go back to the rest of the crowd now. Yeah. So tell us um, for people who haven't seen you, tell us what it is that you do. I I don't know. I think it. I describe it best as just me being alone on stage for an hour, showing off. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much it. I start like with the the shows. I've started trying to follow a stream of consciousness rather than a narrative. So from one, like, uh, physical pose, it might inspire me to start becoming a crocodile or something. So none of the scenes really need an end because they just sort of morph into the next thing. Okay. So what? So we'll, we'll, we'll try and zero in on it because obviously a lot oh, of yeah. people listening will know who you, who you are and what you do. You've had a fantastic year this, this year at the Fringe. A really great year. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I saw your show Squid Boy last year mm-hmm. in Melbourne and I saw Kraken this year and Kraken was nominated. Yeah, was we got it? a yeah. Barry and a Golden Gibbo nomination yeah. in Australia, won the Fred Award in New Zealand... And then I got a runner-up for an amused moose. Did you? Award, yeah. You got a runner-up <laughs> yeah. for the amused moose. I was beaten by Lance. Celia Picola oh, and Chris Seals, Turner, friend of the show. Brilliant. Yeah, she's Lovely. great. Great. So it's great. They're great. Um, so, but but what is it? You're, when you say scenes, we're not talking about stand-up here. I mean, I don't want to put words in your uh, mouth. Yeah. But what it, what does it look like? So it's kind. Of, it's what does it look like? It's a bit mime. I'm okay with saying mime. Some people go like, "Oh, mime! Don't say, don't say mime." Because it's sort of different, because I kind of talk a little bit as well. Uh, <laughs> so, to answer the question, what is the thing I'm doing? I am kind of sort of miming physical body dressed in lycra, sweaty, pretend imagination world creating land. Beautiful. Oh, we'll listen back to that and we'll make an acronym. <laughs> I'm a gafafusawal. Or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you didn't use the word clown at any point there. Do you, oh, yeah. do you would you think of yourself as a clown or is that what, what does uh, that mean? I to think you? it's too it's a really difficult word. Like like what producer is, you know. Like it's one of these things that is so broad it doesn't really identify anything very well. And it, and people will only have a sort of specific example. Like, from the general public, if you say clown, then they get an idea of a red nose and floppy shoes and circus stuff. Maybe you go like, oh, no, no, but like a more theatrical clown, and so it becomes like Cirque du Soleil mm-hmm. kind of vibe. But then you've got all these hipster clowns that are kind of cool new kids just trying out really weird shit on stage. Who are that? Who, who, I don't know who you mean by that. Who's who's that genre? Can you name any examples? Of yeah, that? It, uh, I, I'd say like the crew that do Le Flop, 
that sort of gang. I've uh, never seen that. Who, there's sort of uh, there's a thing called Cardboard Cabaret, which was in London. I'm not sure if that's still happening. Maybe, like, do, do not, what's his name? Doonal? Doonan? Daniel. Doonam? Dum Dum. I don't ding, know who you mean. Ding Dong? I, uh, I, uh, I don't know any of their names. I'm really bad with names. Describe then the difference between your work and theirs, if they're kind of hipster clowns. Um, what do they do that you wouldn't do or vice versa just because because that's interesting oh, yeah. to me I, I feel like I know quite a lot about clowning and contemporary stuff but I've no uh-huh. idea what you mean so f- uh, okay uh, well, what do I mean hipster clowns I think I mean basically anyone that's n- new into exploring the stuff of how to be a clown on stage maybe in a stand up context or in a theatrical context okay uh, the kind of idea of starting with a game and doing and finding scenes within that. Okay. Um, and what, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's the one where it get falls into this like really broad spectrum of like. So you've got traditional circus clown, Cirque du Soleil clown, and then this clown, which is sort of being funny but not being a stand-up comedian. Okay. And and you and wouldn't not being a character, and you wouldn't sketch. call yourself one of them because you what. What criteria do you fulfil that sets you apart from that? I, j- I just don't... That was a really boring scientific like... <laughs> way to talk about the joyful, world-creating, imagination, silly stuff that you do. But you, is it what, that you're not improvising on stage? That it, it's No, I pre-made? do a lot of improvising on stage. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like mild... I have a mild allergy to the word clown at the moment. Yeah. And so okay. I, don't, I don't consider myself one... Because sure. I don't really know exactly what I am. Like sometimes I feel like oh, I'm a bit actor. Sometimes a little bit yeah. comic, physical mime guy. Do you find that that is a help or a hindrance to have such a kind of nebulous definition of what you do? Like to me, I, I can say to people, I'm a stand-up comic. And my dad, I remember, was very happy when I became a stand-up because he could finally explain what I did to people. Yeah, right. Because I did lots of nebulous, weird, performy comedy-ish, streety things for a long time. Um, and uh, he was like, oh, you're a stand-up comic. I, I know what that is. Yeah. Is, it, is it useful to you in some ways that what you do is nebulous? Is it, is it, is it... It's, it's useful to me in thinking about what I do. Uh, but then, yeah, when you're like, describing it to family and relations, like, what do you do? Sometimes they'll say... Oh, so I think I usually just say performer. Yeah, and then okay. it's this like lovely coverall. Like, it could be an actor, musician. Sure. We don't. We just don't know. We don't talk about it. <laughs> so in so in Kraken, let's focus on Kraken. Okay. So that was that was the one that's you know that's that's your, your latest piece of work. Is that have you got anything else that you we'll get to we'll get some next stuff next. Future things. Sorry, um, for the benefit of the listener, hello you. I'm terrifically hungover. It's the last <laughs> Monday of the Fringe. It's Dirty Monday, which no one should work. Mm. And Trigley's doing a show later on, so uh, we're very pleased to have him here. Um, so I was going to ask, yes, so it, again, just to, to, to describe it for people who have never seen anything like it, an example of one of the scenes that you do in Kraken mm-hmm. would be what when you're contr- like, I mean, the one that blew me away was the snake and I'll get obviously the audience singing the music. I oh, just great. thought that was lovely when you catch on what's going on. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so but we'll get to that. I want, there's other things I want to talk about that. But um, so pick, just pick one of your bits. Just describe what, what one of your scenes uh, well, the big, be. like, crowd pleaser, the one that I can pull out at parties and variety nights really easy is the baby bird. The baby bird. Okay. Sequence. Yes. 
Describe the baby bird secrets to us. Okay, so step, step by step. So what you do, should I do it like a how-to? How to do the baby bird? Please, that okay. would be lovely. So, step by step. Um, step one, uh, stand in the middle of a dark st- stage, a lit stage, but make sure there's nothing around. Um, cross your eyes slightly and look like a happy, confused... Uh, like innocent. Ju- innocent, <laughs> slightly cross-eyed, daft bird of happiness. Uh, and and uh, smile and experiment with your voice by going <laughs> and then flap your little wings if you can hear that uh, and, and continue to look daft and confused and really happy and joyous like you're new and the world is a delightful place then what you want to do you want to ride that wave until the audience are bored of looking at a daft bird and then you introduce a uh, a new a new uh, character into the game, and this is a big, eagerly flappy, full wingspan, eyes that furrow like when you're a bad guy and you draw eyebrows on things to make them look angry, like that. So you're a bird. You're flying towards the baby bird. Dun dun dun. What's going to happen? No one knows. Then the baby bird. Oh no, big bad bird's coming towards you. It's going to land. It lands on the side of the nest. And then the baby bird looks up. And, uh, and then back, back to the big bird who's standing there and starts slowly trying to regurgitate some food from the deepest part of his gut. Up towards his throat, but knows it can't can't quite make the vomit yet. Baby bird's still in anticipation, waiting. What's going to happen? Big bird sticks two fingers down his throat, starts vomiting profusely down into the mouth of the baby bird. And, and let's, let's just interject at this point. If you, the listener, are feeling disgusted by this, this is what happens in nature. This is a natural process. Yeah, I'm just... I'm a documentarian, really. I should describe myself as that. I'm not a clown. I'm more a documentarian. Uh, so where are we? The vo- uh, large, large bird is vomiting into the mouth of the baby bird. Baby bird, really happy. Devouring yum, vomit, yum, 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 yum. The, the big bird, <laughs> more vomits. Eating, eating, oh, I'm getting full. S- signal, no, thank you, that's quite enough. I've had enough, thank you. But the big bird can't stop vomiting. It's just. <laughs> Except then the vomiting gets more, and then the big eagle bird needs to do a shit, so he pulls down his pants and shits all over the baby bird, and then continues to vomit on the baby bird, and then vomits some more as the baby bird starts drowning in this small puddle of sick that's in the nest that he's sitting in, and then the eagle, big mama, dad bird starts... um, pissing on the little baby bird and then continues vomiting on the baby bird and the baby bird drowns or doesn't and then the big bird finishes vomiting, cleans his mouth and flies away to interact in a different world. 
Uh, you paint. I mean, I was expecting the, a far less vivid picture of that. <laughs> I mean, it's great. You can see the extent to which your enthusiasm for this disgusting scene you've created just shines and bubbles through that description. So, I mean, and I saw this a couple of nights ago, and people were crying, laughing, laughing yeah. at this. There was one night where someone in the front row, I could see out of the corner of my eye, they were in the front row, and they just like fell off their chair, oh. like a genuine. Ruffle. Fuller. Oh yeah. my god, a genuine. <laughs> it was a genuine ruffle. And it was so, I nearly stopped and just laughed at them. And the whole of your the whole of your hour of the hour that's that is Kraken, is it the same hour every time? Is it the same scenes in the same uh, order? More or less. At the start of the this run, there was a scene which was called the Archer, where I'd be a bad archer trying to shoot apples off people's heads. And it was it was okay. I could just never find the nice rhythm of it, so that one ended up disappearing. Okay, it was a, it was a good scene. The other scenes fun. include uh, in, briefly things like uh, you, the boxer, the boxer. Yes, uh, what? So tell me the game of the boxer. Remember what, what game? What game? Boxer is just invi- like shadow boxing, except then you start hitting yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <sighs> And then, and just kind of building up that you're fighting this invisible psycho shadow yeah, guy who's yeah, just yeah. out to maim you. And uh, you've but also got cutting a hole in your stomach and eating, like, you, you get a, a unicorn's oh, yeah. horn from a member of the audience, you saw the horn off, you yeah. do sword swallowing with the horn, and then you cut, it pokes a hole in your stomach, and then you've got, for the rest of the show, anytime you eat something, it falls out of the hole in your stomach. So all of these things, this incredible sort of cornucopia of frequently savage, visceral... Shit and vomit and piss and blood, kind of yeah. frequently. There's, there's, it's I've got a bad case of like animal cruelty equals comedy. Yeah, it happens all the time, all it through Squidboy and Joe. <laughs> and I've just recently become vegan to um, impress a really beautiful girl, and uh, and now I'm having like issues. I'm, I'm like. Yeah, I can't. I can't condone all this animal cruelty that I'm doing in wow. my show. So now, now if I make another show, it's got. I've got to find something else that is funny, not you, just hurting animals. Do you think it's? Um, is it equivalent to a stand-up comic being fixated with dick jokes? Yeah, maybe. It's a. It, yeah, it's a little bit where you, is you it, get a laugh. You know, it gets a laugh. Is it immature? It's really, yeah. Like, I mean, I, really I don't immature. mean, I don't mean immature in a childish way. I mean, like, in for you as a as a uh, world mind guy, mm-hmm. uh, mind imaginary world engineer, um, is it? And I'm so I suppose it's sort of arguably a bit of a challenging question. But is it? Do you sort of think, okay, in ten years' time, I'll I'll be able to do a show that doesn't need that is as funny without needing any animal cruelty, murder, shit, piss, all the rest of it? Yeah, definitely. It's it does feel like, as far as material's concerned, it feels like. It's great. I love it. It's funny and stupid. It makes me giggle still. But it is a little bit cheap. I kind of go, like, yeah. yeah. I know people... I, I, I didn't think if that I go, at all like, at the time. Here's a cute bunny rabbit, yeah. and they paint this picture of this bunny yeah, rabbit yeah, yeah. for you, you're like, uh oh. I know that if I then go, like, yeah. snap its neck, yeah. you're, everyone's going to go, oh, my God, oh, why? Oh. <laughs> and there's this, like, fu- it's a funny laugh, but... I, I know it works. It's a, yes. It's easy. So which parts of the show are the most challenging for you? The show as it exists at the moment. Is any of it challenging in the moment? Do you, is there any fear? Is there any 
not knowing what's going to happen next? Or is it that this this is a script now and you know what the games are and you always have an end to everything? And it It's becoming more of a script. I'm trying to... Sometimes I'll just do a show where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do any of those scenes. I need about another 15 minutes of material that I don't know what is. So you'll do 15 of new improvising yeah. in the middle of an hour? Yeah, just because... Because I start getting... That's the hardest bit, is going, like, keeping all the stuff that I know really fresh. I mean, that's sort of the beauty of this show, is that I can lose scenes like The Archer if I go, like, "Ah, I don't know. And it could come back one day. Like, sometimes they come back in, sometimes they throw them away forever. Mm. Like, there used to be a mime hula hoop act that I do. (laughs) But, yeah, just a little bit, like, kind of come and go. And for my own, like, especially at this festival, like, you just need... Because the pressure of like everyone coming in going, okay, funny man, let's see, let's see you be funny. Everyone's mm. been talking about it, and that pressure, pr- pressure of like that judgment and expectation and stuff. Sometimes it's too much, and you just need to go. I'm, I'm just, just going to try my... out some shit. I need to do this for me. Okay, you know. Are you able to do that at shows where you've got inverted commas someone important in? If you've got like you know industry like a festival director or something, would you improvise under those circumstances, or do you more like a comedian? Do you go, mm. I'm going to do the old gold here. I'd probably stick to old gold unless I was feeling like particularly snappy and frisky, and then I'd happily like I don't mind if like a festival judge or something is in if I'm feeling playful and cool. Mm. But sometimes that like knowing that there's a bunch of important people there makes like makes it really hard to go into that special yeah. place of like oh, oh, zing, yeah. zing 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 zing. That's definitely because you're always judging way. yourself. Yeah. Going like oh, I just want to be good. I just want to be good. Yeah. But there is no such thing. And what is it what what is the state that you like to be in then as opposed to the just wanting to be good? You just want to what? If it's a if it's a show and you're flowing. Do you, is, there yeah. some, is there anything that you want, or is it just describe that, that sort of state of mind? It's just a, a playfulness. There's sort of two parts of it. There's the sort of real present tense, like, just playfulness, being really hyper-aware of everything that's happening with my body or whatever and getting inspiration from that. But then there's also, like, when you can do the two levels and the second level being that one that has the eye over the whole show, and so you're remembering where you put down an invisible stick earlier on. You remember where, uh, like, uh, what page you were at in an invisible book, and you can, like, call back to that stuff and reference it and somehow tie it all together. That's when it's, like, an amazing show, when you've been, like, improvising all this stuff and you find new connections all through it. You love that. Lovely man, Trigvi. One of those people you could just hate because he's so brilliant and then you meet him and fuck everything if he isn't lovely as well. Ugh. Really interesting conversation with him. Some great stuff uh, here. You've heard about his honesty. Uh, I think about dealing with difficult audience members as well. And he's such a bastard, he even recognises his faults. Disgusting. Um, so uh, lots more good stuff to come on there, including why I'm scared of Goliath. So uh, that's all coming up. Um, some interesting clown stuff on this one. Well done if you're a stand-up and you've listened this far and not 
not simply eschewed it and gone, oh, it's clown stuff. I don't care about that. Clowns are weird. Because um, I think there's a lot to learn that we can uh, all get our teeth into. Um, a couple of things, a couple of replies to the issue of releasing one's stuff online. Uh, I got an email from Mark Jones, uh, who said nice things about the show. Thank you, Mark. He goes on to say, um, I just thought I'd respond to your question about comedians releasing sets on Bandcamp. As someone with limited resources who doesn't live near any comedy venues, I would love it if acts of the kind you interview put shows or albums on Bandcamp and would happily pay to download them. Now, that, thank you, Mark, for that. And it's a good point. But I've got to admit, you do need a distribution network for that to work. You need to make people aware that the product is there. That's why the circuit's so frustrating, isn't it? Because so many people are capable of doing the job. But how do you get a following who are going to seek out your stuff? It's like um, if you treat Bandcamp like YouTube. You put stuff out. doesn't mean anyone's going to look at it or download it. If you have any answers, answers on a postcard to info at comedianscomedian.com, especially if you've released stuff on Bandcamp before, um, either as a, a comic or a musician. No, I don't care about musicians. Tell me if you're a comic. Uh, How was that experience? Did people buy it? Let me know. Um, Just time to thank the latest lot of donators. Thank you, all of you. Um, Rachel Reardon says her favourites were Acaster and Tom Stade. Thank you, Rachel, for your donation and for your kind comments. Thank you as well to Michael Hollingworth, Vanessa Hammock. Very kind of you. Uh, Thank you to everyone that's donated. You too can join the tidal wave of people who are keen to support the show. Just go to comedianscomedian.com and click on the PayPal button. All of your money goes towards making the show in better by making the show in better. That's like improved and better at the same time. Uh, Buying new and better equipment, paying the people upon whose help I rely and also helping me plan and and activate ways to make the show bigger and more vast and expansive. I've got some I've got some really big ideas coming up. I know I keep saying that without telling you, but uh, you'll see. You'll all see. Um, So thank you to all of those. Plus, if you donate, I might have a couple of drinks. How would that be? Five, ten, or twenty pounds is more than welcome. And if you want to go crazy with a pounder show, please be my guest. Comedianscomedian.com. Guest news now. I had uh, a great conversation with David Cross, which I will be uh, releasing next week. Um, he's given me a thing that I hope I can make available, an alternate ending to one of his albums, which uh, Sub Pop didn't let him put out, uh, but which he's given to me and said, hey, put it out there. Uh, I just need to double and triple check uh, that he actually can legally let me release it and that I'm not going to get in trouble. Um, SoundCloud have already been in touch to say, hey, we recognise this, it's not yours. Um, so hopefully that will be with you soon. Certainly the interview will be. Um, we recorded that live in the top room of a pub, the Nell Gwynn in Soho, who very uh, kindly let us in there uh, after a bit of a last-minute space crisis. Um, So, really interesting conversation with David. I don't know if I'll release that as two episodes or one big long one or one edited one. I'll just have to see. Now, it's back to Trigby. Where do you come from as a performer? How did you start doing this? What what were you like as a... Were you a funny kid? I was a... Uh, I was a playful kid that enjoyed, like, I liked doing drama and acting and showing off. Um, and where, what sort of circumstance, what kind of town did you grow up in? What, what uh, it, was a, it was in New Zealand. It was a town called Havelock North. And it was, um, yeah, it, I don't know, it was kind of smallish town, but... I mean, New Zealand's all very small. It's a, a smallish town, not like a little country hick town, but a smallish town. Um, the school that I went to had a very strong... It's sort of... There were two quite distinct groups. There was the, like, sports kids, but then also quite a strong artistic kids' side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of sort of artists, musicians, 
and the group of friends that I was in that were really into performance and uh, were you dancing. sporty as well? No, I was never no. sporty. You mu- that must have infuriated the sports teachers because you look like a natural. I do athlete. now, but no. I do now because I'm really good looking and fit and strong. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this- I, I've developed into a good looking guy. Whereas at high school, like I was just this weird, lanky, white, yeah, okay. brittle idiot. Okay. Now, now I'm all cool looking. Like, <laughs> it's cool funny, man. Shelters. I mean, you have an incredible physicality when you're Thanks. when you're. Uh, <laughs> Uh, when you're being the eagle, your wingspan is enormous. <laughs> I mean, you... Oh, it's absolutely... It's just joyous to watch. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend earlier today uh, about the fact... I think she Facebooked after we went to see the show. She put a status saying something along the lines of, great, Stu just took me to see an incredibly uh, funny, naked, sexy, athletic clown guy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> Stu does not like this. Um, but uh, we were having a conversation earlier on today about whether or not it is... whether you feel risky or vulnerable getting your dick out at the beginning of the show, given that you're a big, handsome guy. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because if, like, I, I feel like a lot of people, were they to get naked on stage, that's like, oh, I'm letting you in, this is vulnerable, this is sort of awful. But you are kind of like Adonis-like, <laughs> and kind of, you know, you're like oh, a wait, ballet dancer you. or something. And we just go, does that, do you feel vulnerable at that point? I realise we were talking I about your to... childhood two seconds ago. We'll go back to that in a second, <laughs> yeah. after the dick questions. Um, I... Uh... I don't, no, I don't. I don't feel weird. Ever since the first time I did it, I like I was so nervous. Um, like in the anticipation leading up to, oh my god, I'm going to get naked in front of all these people. And then I did it, and I was fine. And it's really, it was really weird. I just felt very comfortable. I sort of don't mind. I could probably do the whole show naked. It would be distracting, but... <laughs> it would be distracting, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, so, so you're, you weren't sporty. Oh, although Vicky you're... Stone asked me, okay, along these lines, uh, Vicky Stone, who I was sharing the room with one, a few days ago, she asked me if I had a very visible case of genital herpes, would I still do You that would have a opening? responsibility to your yeah. audience to still do it. That would be, if you didn't, that would be like having a joke about a wheelchair and then if someone was in a wheelchair was in the audience, you didn't do the joke. Unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, okay, I'll just avoid um, visible genital herpes. <laughs> do your best. <laughs> So you're 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 a playful kid. You're doing more like theatre sports, acting kind of stuff. Yeah, I did lots of theatre sports uh, at school and acting. I think the year that I went through was the first year that the school had a drama class for each of the years. Like before, it would have been like um, so third and fourth form. I don't know if you have that. Uh, so I don't. I never know what we call it in Britain. I did a different no. system. So like when I was thirteen and fourteen, there were classes and then I think in previous years when you're 15, 16, 17 that class no longer existed but then the year that I went through that was there all the time so I just I was really focused on doing drama and stuff all through school and then I left Oh, and, and the school that I was at as well they also um, every year had this national youth drama school so like kids from all over New Zealand would come to my school and would spend two weeks in this kind of like acting camp kind of uh, I think it was a week or two weeks maybe one week and so you do like different classes kind of like specialised classes like stand up comedy or clown God, or brilliant. this sounds amazing yeah it was an amazing thing and of course everyone's like between the ages of sort of 15 to 17 so everyone's like 
just found their gang, their like tribe yeah, of man. other people that like doing acting with them. And everyone's like crying at the end of this week because they've made such good friends. It was a beautiful, oh, beautiful times. Idyllic. It sounds lovely. Yeah. And what were you? Did that a lot. What were you getting out of that stuff? Community. Were you? Were you? A little bit community. Artistically also, excited, expressing yourself. What was? Yeah, and I was a real show off as well. So I kind of became, uh, and because I was there for sort of th- three or four years in a row, I became a like a popular figure. At the thing, mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, it was suddenly from being like in school, like a guy that people know, but he's a bit of a drama freak weirdo mm-hmm. kid, to like suddenly like this accepted and popular and super cool guy that everyone was like, oh man, <laughs> that trippy, he's so funny, he blows my mind. I think I think that was part of it that like kept me in the game, you know. And just you- it, like yeah, it's like a support thing. Like you've got a support of all these like other people that like you. My parents were always really supportive of me doing acting. Really? By yeah. by No, I didn't mean really. I mean yeah. that was the beginning of a different sentence. <laughs> really, comma, uh, given I, that your given uh, <laughs> given that your um given that you had such a supportive background, following the narrative structure of what makes a comedian, you should be like a really bland, uninteresting guy with nothing to say because you're, you've come from a crucible of support and people thinking you were cool and all yeah. the rest of it. Do you know what I mean? Normally you think, oh, comedians, people who have the, the flaw in their heart or mind of, of what makes them pursue comedy in some way, normally that's the result of Torture. difficulty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you, were you a happy kid? Yeah. Yeah, I was a really happy kid. I've always been a really happy kid. I quite fucking I improvisers, like man. Stuff. They just don't know. Improvisers are all happy. Make me yeah, sick. and I've come, <laughs> I I do think about it. Like I've come from a real, you know, a fairly privileged background. I've never had that much like stress or stuff in my life. Maybe that's why I do, like, I don't do political, gritty. I don't mm. do anything political and gritty. Sort of social commentary. You just kind of try. I, I enjoy messing around with people's heads and going like, mm. "Hey, do you guys see this funny world mm. that we're all playing in?" And when did yeah. you first think you could turn it into a profession? I think I always thought it. I tried. So, like, only the last two years I've been successful in doing it, and before that, I've spent a long time just try to keep trying to make shows and be. Funny, like I kind of come from theatre background. Okay. I had a go at stand-up comedy when I was about twenty, and didn't like it. I didn't really like the scene very much, and I didn't like I didn't like writing. Where, where were material. you? Where, where, where did you do it in Auckland? This or? was in Auckland. Yeah. Okay. So did you play the classic? Did you ever do? Yeah. That? Yeah. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Um, but you. Great. But what? What was it about the scene that didn't turn you on? Did you find? I, any... did, I didn't like the. I don't like the thing. Of uh, you know when you're backstage or at a bar or something with a bunch of comics and everyone's being aggressively funny towards each other, oh yeah, like trying to out joke the next guy. And I used to go like, oh, I can't, I can't play this game very well, and I don't like it. And so I, I sort of left. I I have a now I deeply I I can appreciate it. I'm like, oh yeah, you guys are just like sharpening your little comedy teeth on each other. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it it's, was a game that I never really wanted to play or was good at, so I was like, yeah, I'm out. I was With interviewing the Steen Raskopoulos, and uh, he said something interesting about one of the principles of improvising, which is to make your, everyone else on stage look brilliant. 
That's like one of the job, oh, one of the rules yeah. in a theatre sports kind of way. Make your make your partner look great, and everyone's trying to do that. And it did occur to me that is the opposite of the stand up comedy mentality, yeah. which is often <laughs> shut up, everyone. I want to say my thing. Yeah. And it, you know, it's it's it's, it's, it's uh, maybe that's more to do with that kind of unhappy childhood thing. Maybe that's where that comes from. Is you stand up is sort of a less or can be a less giving thing. You know, yeah. stand up sometimes feels like you're trying to take something from them. You're trying to get a reaction from them rather than you're trying to give them an experience. Yeah, that's true. I'm, that's an enormous brushstroke that I'm painting because I'm talking yeah. to a, a clown mind guy and I'm, I'm in a happy mood. <laughs> <laughs> there are loads of really giving positive stand-ups as well and loads of evil clowns. <laughs> are, there, are there any evil clowns? Red Bastard. I've never seen him. I always clashed with his shows. But he uh, might, yeah. Is he an evil clown? I don't know. Sort of. Not really. It's He's marketing. Just, yeah, I think it's just marketing. He's 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 quite like he's a, he wants to get to to you. He's a provocateur, he's a, isn't he? Right? Yeah, he's yeah, a yeah, provocateur. Okay. That's the word. Okay, so um, you you had a go uh, some stand up. Did you write jokes or did you improvise the stand up that you did? I, I wrote jokes. Oh yeah, so this National Youth Drama School thing. I studied under Benjamin Crellin. Do you know? I this know guy? Ben. Yeah, yeah. Who is now the darkest guy? But at the time, he he was he's such a good like joke writer, and so he had all this like. Yeah, so I learnt how to write stand-up comedy under him. And then, uh, yeah, so he kind of had some material about um, roadworks, I think it was. It was very... <laughs> the look in your face <laughs> is like, oh, I have oh, some roadworks. <laughs> material days. Um, yeah, it, it was fine. It was moderately funny, and I was moderately charming delivering it. But uh, I, could, I couldn't keep writing. I found no... I'm not very good at sitting alone in a room and doing writing and going, ah, this will be funny. They'll mm. like this. I, I kind of have to do it a bit on stage. I don't know. And it's, it just got a bit limiting. Anyway, I went and turned to theatre for a while after that, and I uh, met my friend Barney Duncan, who was doing a show called Calypso Nights. Not sure if you saw Oh, that. I haven't seen that one, no. Really good. Anyway, we got together and had this like shared love of Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin silent film kind of stuff and then started trying to recreate that on stage a little bit uh had a theater company made show after show as like young broke enthusiastic little guys in Auckland okay okay and putting on shows to who did you get audiences did you yeah we do audiences we got audiences um you you know how it goes when you're fresh to the thing it's usually your mates and maybe your parents and a couple of their mates like it's not a really big broad spectrum and what sorts of shows were you doing like when kind of double act stuff sketches no we were uh, we were trying to do like kind of silent comedy like an hour-long show that uh, so yeah we made a couple with these two characters called toot and collins who are kind of like a laurel and hardy sort of duo like Two idiots that can't really function without each other. One's the real sort of straight, always has the plans. Which were you? I was this that one. Was the, that one yeah, like, really uh, knows what he's doing, but everything goes wrong for him all the time. Okay. And then Toot, which was Barney's character, is like a floppy, loose, happy-go-lucky idiot. So that sort of thing. And we'd write little stories around it. Like, so one of them where two builders who have to renovate an old church uh no an old go-go bar into a church to cover up a murder that has happened there okay okay. one is where two chefs having to 
uh, and, and like a magic chicken wanders into the restaurant and we have to save it from the bad guy. One, we were two circus performers that had been kicked out of a circus and we were just, the whole show was us trying to get back into the circus with various acts. Okay, okay. Yeah. So gotcha. we were kind of like Laurel and Hardy try, trying to do that kind of vibe. And did that have a, did you feel that could have been the thing that propelled you to sort of professional performing? Was it good enough? Did it have enough pull? It, um, I don't know. I mean, we're still performing uh, The Magic Chicken, which is the one where we were two chefs. That's sort of going around Australia, and it's billed as, like, a family show. For me, it's now, it's, uh, I, I look at it and go, ah, oh, yep, yeah, that's what I made in my early 20s. Like sure. it, it feels like a show that I made 10 years ago kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's quite stuck in that time as well. It's hard when you make a theatre show. Like, you kind of go, this is the script and where it is. And now I feel like I've moved on. Like, since then, I've been to Goliere. I've come out. I've made, like, a bunch of different solo shows. When I say a bunch, I mean two. What, um, uh, what propelled you to go to Goliere? What was the inspiration for that move? It was just boredom of New Zealand. Okay. There's no, there wasn't enough uh, stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd sort of worked with all the companies that I wanted to work with in New Zealand, and... Uh, had been inspired and stolen ideas from all the people I'd wanted to steal ideas from and just ran out of people. It's a real New Zealand problem. (laughs) (laughs) Now, all I know about Gollier, I know from uh, talking to uh, Phil Burgess, Dr. Uh, Brown, and other people. I know know some other kind of people who are doing that kind of merging clown stand-up sort of stuff. A couple of people in in the UK have spoken to. All I know about uh, working with Gollier is that he is tyrannical and makes everyone cry and it's the <laughs> hardest thing anyone's ever done in their life. Was that your experience? Yeah, I think so. I didn't cry. I think I had a slow build kind of a crisis where I just kind of just got more and more frustrated but it never went Bleh! in an explosive crying fit. It was just this like frustration of being bad day after day after day after day after day and eventually something started to crack. What was so, that? Tell us about that experience. What What is it that... Uh, the, the, um, it's... Uh, I don't know. Like You see people on stage sometimes and you see the moment where they're like... They just get so frustrated that they're doing badly that they just go... Oh, I, I just don't know! And get shouty and cry and like do all this stuff on stage. And it's and at that moment you see them like just kind of giving up all this pretense that heaps of people have when they go on stage. They have like a acting persona, even if they're trying to be like, yeah, it's just me. They're still acting me. Often the them is is. Do you think they're acting that that's an act that they do in their day to day lives? No, I think it's quite it's it's different. Like you can feel it. I don't know. Do you feel it when you go when you're off stage? You're just hanging out with people. Da da da. There's little bits that you do. Oh, it depends on how well I know them. Like there's, yeah. there's people, there's my friends. There's the way I am with my girlfriend is different to the way I am with you, mm. someone I like who I've only met a few times, mm. is different to the way I am with say two or three mates in a room. But there's also someone there I don't like. Yeah, right. I mean, there's lots of different kind of versions different of me. Levels of you. I don't know which is most sort of true, but I think the. The idea of, I mean, I, I, I did the Dr. Brown clown course. I did one of his like three or four mm-hmm. day courses. And 
so I experienced those sorts of exercises there when you're kind of like, come on with nothing. Yeah. Now yeah. do something. Yeah. And I definitely am very cerebrally led and very kind of thought led. That was, I did sort of clowning stuff from 10 years ago or more. Mm-hmm. And always, oh, oh, Christ, <laughs> probably more like 20 now, but <laughs> 15 or something. But I was, I think I was terrible at it because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. I couldn't stop appraising it and analyzing it and going, oh, what is it? And for one little moment during Phil's course, I went, I kind of went, oh, I just then, for a sliver of a second, I was just being honestly funny. Yeah. And it was thrilling. But surrounded by me just being shit over and over and over again, I don't know if I could cope with that. I don't know if I mentally have enough confidence in myself to go. I'll, I'm going to go somewhere and be shit for six months. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd cry. I think it'd break me. But I think. But the thing is, like in all of that, in like in Goliere, the thing is, like you have that little taste. So you you had that little taste of what this genuine funny moment was like. And this is what I think the Goliath School is, is like you get these tastes and you can remember that taste really well. And you never know how you got there, but you, then after that you will always, I'm always like searching for that flavour again, that like delicious thing where you're just like open and everyone's laughing and you don't really know why, but you are loving it. That's interesting. And, They're and laughing. Your eyes are like sparkling, and you don't know why. Yeah, now, there are key, there are moments in your show when you know why they're laughing. Are there mm. moments in your show where you don't know why they're laughing? Yeah, sometimes. I I tried to make the show based on that, on like an entire show where I don't know why anyone is laughing. It's really hard to do. Uh, I can't think of it in in Kraken. I know in Squid Boy. Like feeding, uh, there's a thing that I do where I get an invisible imaginary packet of crisps and I just eat crisps. And and then I start, and then I like to eat a bird because we know (laughs) Trevi loves animal cruelty gags. Uh, And then I start sharing the crisps around with all the rest of the audience. And And it's and eating the crisps and sharing them is both very funny. That always gets a big laugh. And I never know why. Even you then had a little chuckle. I was remembering seeing it. I remember the yeah. bit because you're feeding people birds and you, you feed... Do you? I saw this in, I feed everyone, sh- in Melbourne, rather. Yeah. You fed everyone crisps and then you, you fed... I remember eating a sheep. I oh, did you eat a sheep? I ate a oh, sheep. Great. <laughs> and I don't know whether you gave me a sheep or I turned into a sheep. I think you gave me a yeah, sheep. Yeah, you gave you And one. I remember I got a big laugh. I was quite proud of myself. We didn't know each other at the time. And I got a laugh from the room because I was twisting it to get it into my mouth. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I really enjoyed it. It was really silly. But I still, I was, I had a funny idea. I'll, I know, I'll, I'll kind of t- twist it like that and it'll look like, oh, this guy in the audience turns out is a pretty funny guy. You know, I was <laughs> yeah, still yeah. following my clever idea. Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? Whereas that's very different, isn't it, to what... Like, yeah. it, I remember seeing you eating the crisp and the reason I laughed then was because... I, and I immediately started trying to analyse it just then. It's, it's because... I think it's because you're eating the crisps. It's because you don't know why it's funny. And we see in your eyes that... I think yeah. there's some curiosity or so, God, I really want to pin it down. It's probably impossible, but <laughs> yeah. there's some sense that like you're showing off doing something rubbish. And the fact that it, it's nothing to show off about, but you're showing off about there's a little glint in your eye. Like, <laughs> yeah. These are crisps. This is my great crisp bit. It's something like yeah. that is 
hugely lovable and silly. Yeah, may- maybe. I th- I always think it's watching someone, hit, like, the pleasure of eating things. Like, it's a great... If you ever, like, are doing some sort of little workshop or something, you're like, just give someone a banana and tell them just to eat and really enjoy eating a banana in front of a room. Because it can be great. As long as people lose their, like, ideas bit. Like, if you just see someone happy to eat a banana, it is the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. It is so good. I think that's where it came from. Like, just eat the pleasure of eating. I'm there is an open joyousness about, I'm eating crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a funny self? Do you have a funny, what am I describing? What am I trying, what am I sort of clutching at? There's a sort of a face you do that you did just then, which is kind of like that. And it's, and I'm sorry, apologies to people listening to this. You'll just need to imagine a face doing a thing. But you have a sort of a, a kind, you dip your head forward slightly. You're like, like that. And that's like, that's you in funny mode. Do you know what I mean? And I've seen you do it socially and you do it a lot on stage. Yeah. That's like, like there's some sense of there we go and, and I go that's Trigby that's why Trigby's funny that's what your clown looks like is that uh, guy is that guy mm. yeah can I take a photo of it hang on I want to take a photo of you doing of me doing it okay of it. Um, okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think that's okay. what it is that's good I'll try and send it to you thanks man uh, I know you can uh, follow me at comcompod if you're listening to this and I will tweet <laughs> it when, when this show comes out I will try and remember to tweet it um, but yeah, so what, do you recognise that you do that? Yeah. What yeah, does it mean? I do recognise it. What is that for you? Is it a thing you come back to? Is it a? It is, is it? a little bit. It, it's kind of, and I sometimes feel like it's. It's one of these habits that I want to get rid of because I know it works a little bit, like in this like proud child grin. Then I like to call it. Yeah. Someone's like, I loved your show. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and it's like I'm a proud child yes. I'm a big brave boy yes. like that that's interesting and I, I do I know it happens and it's cheap I sometimes I really worry what is it that's that, cheap that, why is it cheap that I, that I know it works because you know it works yeah. so it's not an act of discovery or creation anymore it's you falling back on your one liner yeah yeah okay exactly sorry I interrupted you no it's good um yeah, it, I, so I often feel like that is something that I've stolen from Phil, from Dr. Brown, from Carlo, Jacucci as well. I like, don't know Carlo, okay. It, he's good. It's, I think Phil's stolen heaps of stuff from Carlo. Okay. It's just this line of theft. Yeah. Like, yeah, graduates. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I'm like, damn it, I'm doing, like, there's some little things that I do on stage where I'm like, ah, that's my Phil thing. And I'm doing yes. it because I've seen him do it. Do you start copying him? Do you need to be careful about that? I mean, we we could talk about your show in the context of his. I mean, you're in the same space in the underbelly. Yeah, it's re- it's funny. Last year, everyone like the reviewers for Squid Boy went, oh, "Well, he's no Doctor Brown." Yeah, okay. and now this year they're all like, "Uh, he's just trying to be Doctor Brown." Yeah, <laughs> what do you want, you people? I'm not. I, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a it puts me in a funny place. I'm like, I really want to find the Trig V Wakenshortness and like move away from that. But it's it's hard, you know. Phil, like Doctor Brown, really just opened the door to all this stuff. Yes, this physical and are you? World. Do you feel that you exist in the wake of 
Dr. Brown, because I was sort of thinking if you got here first, if you came here six years ago, or I don't know, I, you know pick a figure, if you got here the year before he did, then maybe people would be going, oh, Dr. Brown, he's a bit tricky, Wakenshaw. Yeah. Or, or is it that you are in kind of chronologically, you saw it and it inspired you? I think that is probably more true. Gotcha. I think I... Yeah, I, mean, I think it's I very different. What you do that. is very different. It's just that part of why uh, Phil went off here it's to that such an extent. I mean, he's he's brilliant. I think you're mm. I think you're both fantastic performers. Um, but also part of it was that Edinburgh didn't know what had hit it, it because it has seen never it seen anyone do it before. Yeah, yeah. And now that that gate is open, oh, that's one of the things you can do. No one's going to have that much impact again yeah. until they take from another. You know, yeah, take I don't take from. I mean display uh frame another existing thing in a different context yeah, yeah i've sort of got a pet theory that if you are brilliant at something else and then you come to the world of stand-up stand-up loses its mind because you go, oh my god you can do this right yeah yeah see also you know, yeah. being a pianist being a freestyle rapper being yeah. a mime there's lots of things that you can be excellent at in other categories, and then you turn up here, and there's something about the nature of Fringe or Edinburgh specifically, whatever it is, that people lose their shit and go, oh, my God, this is so new and different. And everyone yeah. from the previous world of mime or piano or freestyle would kind of look at it and go, well, it's just that thing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, which isn't to denigrate the, the, the brilliant skills involved, but there is that sort of framing thing. Mm. So do you feel that you have to steer clear of fill-ish material? I'm, do you do you have to be? Do you ever find yourself? I mean, we're sort of discussing that face yeah. and going. I've kind of that's a little bit borrowed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 I wouldn't have said that face in particular, but and I don't. Maybe it's a goalie exercise. I don't know. But there's a thing Phil does with his body, kind of like an impulse that comes through him. That kind of is like <laughs> like that. That you <laughs> yeah, also have a, a sort of an impulse. It's like. You're on stage. You've got nothing. Do something. Is you know that's sort of a lean forward of the chest. Some sort. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah yours is very. Mean, yeah. is very distinct from his, but it, it's it's like a thing rippling through you. Like, where are we going? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I I do try and avoid it. I'm sort of. I'm okay with it at the moment. I know. I know that I get compared to, Doctor Brown a lot, and I'm and it's frustrating, but I understand, and I think it's how I. I'm going about finding out who I am as a performer. Like Squid Boy, I made hugely influenced by a guy called Julian Cottero, who's a he's ex Cirque du Soleil. He had a show here last year called Imagine Toi, French mime clown guy. Does lots of like real like whimsical, charming, imagination building stuff uh, on stage, and I was hugely influenced by that for Squid Boy. And then yeah, and I think. Then later on, Squid Boy started to get influenced by Dr. Brown. Kraken is a little bit more that, and I'm trying to find myself. But you, you do it. You go through your influences. You're like, oh, am I, am I like this guy? And you work out that in a way you're like that guy. And then I'm, con- I'm, I'm now in developing new shows, trying to find the thing. That is Trigvy Wakenshaw. Like I'd love that's my dream to get to the point where I'm like, that is purely me. That is just how I am funny on stage. I would never have guessed that Cottero was in your kind of pedigree of of things you were emulating. You're a million oh, right. miles away from him, I think. I saw him yeah. there maybe five <clears throat> years ago or more. And something that I found frustrating in his work, he smashed it to pieces. The absolute mm. the gig I saw him at absolutely tore it apart. But for me, 
I felt his stuff was beautiful set pieces. Yeah. And there was no... He was sweating a lot, but I don't <laughs> know that he was risking a lot. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? It was, it was like a beautiful confection. Mm. And what I want from a clown is sawdust and mistakes and... Yeah, do you know what right. I mean? Like, do, you, do you see what I mean? So, yeah, I but, but what what aspects of his work? Uh, what what specific things? I don't mean specific bits, but like, what was it that appealed to you about about Cotter? I think I liked that the sort of refinedness of it, and uh, and mostly the like the biggest thing would have just been the fact that he created this world like he had like a few technical things like he yeah, had the microphone he had the microphone he? Yeah. and he could um shift his voice as well for some of that stuff but like everything that he did like playing with a ball with the audience throwing a ball into the audience having them throw it back there's a moment where he plays like imaginary hacky sack with yeah. a he gets a kid up on stage and just they just kick a ball between the two of them and he's making all the sound effects but the kid and the audience, like everyone, can see this ball. That's, that's definitely going true. Around. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you know, in uh, in the show, he like paints like off stage. There's this great giant sleeping beast that he's sort of oh yeah, I remember that. Carefully yeah. trying to not wake up. And yeah, and like all that was so clear. Like when I was watching mm. the show, I had such a clear picture of. All these things that he was playing with. That was the thing that inspired me. I love that. In in Squid Boy, mm-hmm. there is it's clear what you're doing, like the mimes and the games are clear, but the narrative is very far from clear. It's yeah. much more like a sort of collage of surreal I mean the, the for those who haven't seen it, the, the premise was it's a, a squid dreaming he's a fisherman or a fisherman dreaming he's a squid. Yeah. That that is not you know that is a difficult sentence to understand even though I've seen the show you know so so were you so let's just talk, let's just talk a bit about about clarity mm-hmm. and meaning and what you'd like an audience to understand other than some sense of like there's a world okay mm-hmm. we get you created a world yeah. what is it with Squid Boy that you were aiming for what experience in the audience were you aiming for. I was trying to see how much I could put into the audience head. Like, the, what... Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, It's hard to not talk about it as a world. Because that, that was it. Like, can I create a, a place where there's a cow that you can see? There's a dog that you can see. We play games together. There's a tree. There's a sandwich floating on a hook. And then, yeah, and then the sort of twist at the end was to take all of that away. I think someone compared it really nicely once to, like, reading a book. Like, you read a book and, and it says, like, you know, he wore a yellow jacket. And in your head, suddenly, boom, there's this picture of this yellow jacket. And you know very... You, you can see all of this stuff happening. And I wanted to try doing that in a theatre show, I think. Like... Yeah, so similar to how you read a book, and all the images go dunk de dunk dunk, without it all having to be there, put in front of you. Are you are you trying to create an emotional experience for the audience? I was in that one. I didn't do it so successfully. In Squid Boy, I wanted a moment where it was funny, 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 and then you cry at the loss of this the big world that we've you know built together. 
and it's, and wh- it's and why more, didn't... And happen, it more or less happens. It's okay. Okay. Why only more or less? Why, what is it, do you think, that's because getting they, in the way? Uh, it's ju- it just doesn't go strong enough, you know, like the pathos at the end. I'd love it if, like, you could just, like, if I walked away and everyone was, like, weeping at the end, going, like, we love this character. I think it's because it's so, like, the show is now so much, like, just me dressed as a squid being an idiot mm. that it's, that we kind of love me rather than, like, you don't feel as much loss of the world or something. Or the goodbye isn't as... And why was, why know. did you why did you want this big goodbye? Is it so that you could show off as an artist because yeah. you made people cry? <laughs> yeah, I wanted yeah. to make a comedy show that people. I really like the idea of making people cry. Do you work? I'd, with, I'd love to do that. Maybe that'll be my next show. <laughs> Just see if I can traumatize people into joyous sadness. You know. Do you have sort of principles that you follow? Do you have rules in your head? Like a writer, I mean, one of the first times I asked this question, I think the example I used was one of the rules for writers is don't get it right, get it written. You know, like a sort of a a useful analogies that you come back to when you're, not analogies, aphorisms, that you come back to when you're making or playing. Um, uh, Not really. I'm a bit lazy when it comes to making so it's just about playing on stage I try not to apologise that's one thing I don't I don't like the thing where you see where, like if you're going to go and improvise something and risk it then pretend like that was the ultimate you could do like it's really shitty when you see someone go oh sorry like when ah, it's my thing when stand ups do that thing where they like a joke sucks and then they go Oh well, that's uh, that new material isn't going into the next set. It's like, shut up! You wrote the joke. Deal with it. Live with that joke. <laughs> Sit, brood in it. Don't apologise for it and sweep it under a rug. Feel sit, sit. bad for your shitty, shitty joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is classic Goliath there. Yeah. <laughs> Experience the pain. Experience own it. the yeah. pain that you Don't just told an awful joke. Apologise for it. So I try. I try not to apologise. That's uh, one thing. None of this is a hundred percent always working either, but um, uh, that at the moment I'm really interested in like sort of transition. Okay, this isn't a rule; it's just a thing I'm interested in and trying to get rid of story and having structure based on something else. <laughs> How do you mean? I didn't know. I'm interested in that. What 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 do you mean? So I'm, I'm interested Boy, in that. What are you talking about? Squid <laughs> Boy I tried to make, uh, like, with this little story about who is dreaming. Is it a fisherman or is it a squid? Da, da, da. And then nonsense happens in between. And then Crack and I tried to have it so everything would flow into the next thing. So it was stream of consciousness I'm trying to explore further. I think, it, although, I think maybe it's just because I'm really bad at writing endings for things. So as long as I, there's, like, the scene has some funny material in it, if you go from the end of that and waft into something else that begins new, then you don't have to write an ending. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, it's because I'm bad at writing endings. <laughs> <laughs> do you... Do you create anything off stage do you have an idea for a bit and then go on stage and play it 
do you do any work before you go on stage and play it? I haven't recently. I will go on stage going like, ah, oh, I think there's a scene about a boxer. And then I'll go on stage and just go, I don't know what I'm doing. Like sometimes scene titles, like that, like you could just you can just go like, oh, I need f- there's five minutes. It's not quite right. Okay, I'll try and do a scene called the sunshine and the flowers. And then I have that stupid picture in my head and go like, okay, I now perform the sunshine and the flowers and make it up from a stupid scene title. I don't. Uh, I don't, at the moment with my solo stuff, I haven't been working on things in a rehearsal room. I tried really hard, but I find it impossible. Like, there's no one to bounce ideas off, and I start second-guessing whether anything's funny at all. And nothing really works until you put it in front of an audience. But I think for future stuff, I'd like to go back to trying to write a bit more. Like, cracking came from pretty much entirely on-stage things. The, the uh, nudity moment at the start was an idea. Everything else was just improvised. And do you once you play it, if you go, if you have an idea for the sunshine and the flowers, and mm-hmm. you go on stage and you play it in front of an audience, yeah. do you come off and take notes afterwards? Do you, do you sort of reflect on it and go, maybe next time if I did that? Or is it, it's, you're on, that's happening now, it's worth going back to or not, and you don't think about it till the next time you do it? Uh, I'll think about it, not in a formal way, though. Like, I don't go back and, like, have a little notebook and go, things that were good about the show. I kind of, I use, like, a technician or someone, whoever's doing the lights tends to be the person that I ask to write down any thoughts. I let it be their thoughts. I don't like to think about it too much myself. (laughs) Do you dance around your bedroom practising mimes? (laughs) This is the equivalent of, do you stand with a hairbrush in your hand practising your material? (laughs) I sort of do. Do you really? I I was worried that was a stupid question. No, I I do a little bit. I know I've I've spent... I can get quite hypnotised by my own face trying to, like, move different muscles, going, like, how does that one work? Like, looking in a mirror, just, like, bending my face into strange shapes. I quite enjoy that. And different muscles on my body, I try and... Yeah, so I love being in, um, like, dance studios where they have, like, just a big wall of mirrors. I can never come up with any scenes, but I love looking at my body going in weird shapes. (laughs) Like, does that go over there? Oh, it does. Wow. That looks weird. Yeah, do you what what do you do with your body? Were you ever a dancer or anything like that? No, you, are I you wish trained I was. in anything or are you just a big lanky twat that kind of Yeah, and that one. <laughs> I am option B. I uh I wish I really I would love to do some actual dance training. Um but I don't yeah, I'd love to do like an intensive. I was considering going off to dance school like maybe next year or something, but I don't think I'm actually going to do that. <laughs> um I wanted to ask you about your costume and yeah. how you found it, how you came up with that. Is that like, uh, yeah, that's the question. How did you find that costume? Kraken costume. Um, Which is I... a, sort of a leotard and a headband and wristbands. Yeah. I, it came from an idea when I was thinking about the show. <laughs> that's right. I had this idea. I'd been thinking about costume. Costume's pretty important for me, for starting point. Going like, okay, I don't feel like just normal street trig V. Like, I could never perform in 
what I'm wearing now, which is like black skinny jeans and a hoodie. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do that. So I need a costume to be like, ah, I'm performer Trigley now. And it came from an idea of a swimmer. Oh, because the show was called Kraken, which is like a great mythical sea monster. Which it turns out not that not everyone knows. Really? Yeah. Wow. People are like, what is a Kraken? Like, it's, oh, okay. it's a big squid-like sea monster. Yeah. It sinks ships and stuff. Not everyone knows that. Okay. It's a sort of mythological... It's, really it's like Greek, yeah. Greek mythology, isn't it? Yeah. Norse. Norse. Is yeah. it really? Yeah. Is it from Norse? Yeah, it's Norse. Ah, that was me thinking, oh, I'm cleverer than most people because I know what a Kraken is. I didn't realise it was Norse. Yeah. I, li- I like it even more now. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Mm-hmm. Swimmer. What were you saying? Swimmer. Uh, oh, yeah, so yeah. I, I was, like, thinking around water-type things uh, and I wanted a swimming costume and the idea... My great idea was that I was going to wear like little swimming shorts, shave my body entirely, wear this weird orange fake tan and cover myself in baby oil because I thought it would be shiny and look funny <laughs> and <laughs> on stage. Uh, and uh, like this like kind of weird rubber swimming cap that I found mm-hmm. in Norway. And uh, that was the original idea, and I held on to this idea for a long time because I didn't have many ideas for the show, so any ideas were very precious. And then one day I decided, well, I should probably test this idea out before I commit to it. So I got a small group of people into a room (laughs) to go, I've got this idea, I've got a couple of ideas, I want to show you a few things. And at some point I did, I, I just started pouring baby oil all over myself, and rubbing it into my body. And everyone that was in this room just looked at me silently and felt weird, and then I felt weird. And it was the worst... It was my, it was the worst idea I've ever had. <laughs> uh, so that, that idea Which is went a shame, out the window. Really. But it's I a liked... shame because it would be so convenient to do every night. <laughs> so it's a shame that's not funny. <laughs> I know, covered in baby oil and fake tan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think it kind of, it just changed from that. Oh, I know also where it came from. It was a little bit, in Perth, I did a couple of street performance things. Okay. And so just tried to be a little bit classical mime in a sort of cheap clothing kind of a way. Okay, were you getting getting an edge? Were you getting, like, what was the circumstance of your doing street stuff? Were you booked into a slot and mucking around, or were you just in the street? Yeah, I was booked into a slot and mucking around. Um... There was a guy that had been performing there. He was leaving, and the guys that were running this venue that had the spot that he was on went, hey, do you want to come and do some stuff? Okay. I was like, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> having never done street stuff before. <laughs> How did you find it? It's, it was good. I mean, it was, it was a really nice atmosphere. Uh, so I didn't... Like, it was within a sort of... Um, Festival-y. Festival yeah, okay. kind of garden area. So it was a little bit like the crowd understood. Like I could never do that stuff in like a just on the street anywhere. Okay, but uh, yeah, it was okay. So that came from that. The rest of the costume just sort of it slowly just evolved from the tights. I liked wearing dance shoes, so I got a pair of dance shoes. The top used to be beige, except because I sweat so much. During the show, the this beige kind of tan top 
would just get these little puddly patches of sweat marks all over it. So um, we had to go for black, just because it's not <laughs> very, so obvious. Very wise. I'm wondering how much of your mime, how much of your performance comes from imagination and how much of it from observation. Like, I remember doing sort of clown course type exercises where you study what butter looks like when you fry it and then you try and mimic <laughs> yeah, that right. quality. Do you, do, have you done anything like that or is it all just purely crazy stuff coming out of your head? It's all just imagination world. I've never done any uh, researchy parts, but I I should. I find myself. It's really interesting doing the two shows back to back at the same time because I can see all the crossover of ideas that I've stolen and from myself and repeated from myself. And now I'm being a bit more like, actually, I need to do a bit of homework and practice, and just like build up a little bit of extra stuff in the old mental bookshelf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thank you. That's uh, yeah. I, I, that's interesting. I sort of assumed that might be the case. Yeah. Um, I need to read more. Reading always does good. Yeah. Yeah. What what kind of thing? Don't know. Just anything. Books. I need to read more books. <laughs> reading. <laughs> what kind of thing? Oh, I like books. Oh no. <laughs> Not so much magazines. Um, <laughs> And do you, does anyone come in and direct the show ever? Do you ever ask friends to have like an outside eye on it who then suggest, oh, that, that character could come back at that point? Or is it all flowing from you and the, the audience? It's all from me. I've tried working with other people earlier on, but it's too, it's too hard to do. The, the shows are now very much mine, and I don't like to give up that bit of responsibility. Not for these shows. I'm... I like working with other people, but these shows is too hard to go to, uh, to share that because it's my dream and my imagination and my world and it all links together in my own brain in a special kind of way. And it's someone else, what like aside from going that bit works, that bit doesn't work, like, that's as much direction as I can get really and I get that from an audience. And do you, I mean, I've only seen you be great. Presumably you oh, have thanks. bad gigs sometimes. Yeah. Do I, you, have you ever had to wade through an hour to people that just no one was going for it? Or does that never happen to you? I don't remember that happening. My worst, uh, my worst times are when it's like personally bad for me. Where I, where I am wading through an hour, like nothing is sparking. I'm not having any fun. I can't get the vibe of the audience. Are they still laughing? Yeah. And, but you're not satisfied with the quality of it? Yeah, they're laughing. They're not laughing as well as a, like, killer show. But, yeah, I've never had a totally cold, cold audience. N- nearly. It sometimes nearly happens, but then you can usually... Usually it's like at a t- doing a ten-minute slot because people aren't there expecting to see you. So they're just like, what is this idiot doing leaping around the stage? And how do you cope with that? I usually at the just, time and afterwards. Are you kind of you seem well adjusted enough that you shrug it off? Yeah. Well usually I can it's it's like the game with the one man out of the night out of the whole crowd, I will just focus on that one man. So usually I'll 
I would do that. Like, if I can make one guy laugh... That, I mind. would love to apply that to stand-up if I'm having a tough gig, to find the person who's enjoying it the least and direct it all to them. But the problem with... I can't see that working for stand-up because it's so cerebral and kind of wit-based. And it's clear... It's just the yeah. opposite of that clowning stuff. And, you know, Phil used to say in the classes, forget about... We don't care about your clever idea. Mm. And I, sort of, as a stand-up, you kind of go, that's all I've got is my clever idea. Mm. Um... So to try and win someone over with logic, you don't, I mean, and that's not what you're doing, is it? It's totally... No, it's, it's, it's winning them over winning with, with, like, charm. You just have to be charming. You can do whatever you want. You can tell them jokes or, I don't know, push a wheelie chair around the stage, but you're just looking at this one person in, with your eyes going, I'm doing this for you, buddy. You know why? Because they love you. Do you think that they know that? Do you, what, what experience do you think they have when you're thinking, I'm doing this for you? Do they think this guy's doing it for me, or do they think? Uh, yeah, they're to get off my case, or what? Yeah, what, what there's do you a really, they get a little special s- smile. I'm not sure what their thought process is, but you can see that great moment when they break, when they're like, "No, no, stop it! Don't look at me." Oh, this guy, oh, that's lovely. Finally, <clears throat> do you worry at all that this type of work, given what we were saying before about? suddenly there's you and Phil mm-hmm. and there's more on the way. Do you have a concern that this material will be seen as faddish? It's sort of in vogue at the moment. Yeah. Like it's very hard to imagine shows like yours existing here 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. Is it hard to imagine them now that they're continuing? Yeah, Yeah, I think it's probably a fad a little bit. Um, hopefully it inspires a whole bunch of people like you know i was inspired by something <laughs> so to make all this happen um yeah i i think comedy generally like has quite a short half-life like sketch is very out at the moment is that right i i don't know i'm not really i don't really follow it. difficult to say there's so um, much of everything now it's hard uh, to right. kind of go i mean you can certainly look at the awards and go what they seem to have been excited about and not that I would use the awards necessarily as a barometer for anything other than the opinions of 10 people or however many people it is and it's very that's that thing of oh we're observing the festival we've made these decisions and then everyone goes oh that's what the festival is now which I don't think is the case at all but people like uh, John Kearns and Liam Williams uh, they seem to be there is like a bentage to a certain extent as well people who are kind of inventing something rather than... There's, like, a lot of conventional, inverted commas, conventional stand-up here. Mm. And I love conventional stand-up, and I personally want to get very good, as good as I possibly can, at the conventional thing. That is not in vogue at the moment, because I think people have had a a bit of a backlash against this. So much of it about there's so much of it being successful on telly, Mm. that people is like, you know, I feel like... it's, It's like if you can... If you can make a really good bow, like a bow and arrow bow, you know the exact technique to get the string just right and it's, and it's that perfect thing. I feel like at the moment everyone's going, there's loads of bows. He just makes bows. You know, yeah, we yeah. want a guy that can make a ball and chain. And you're like, but I don't <laughs> want to make a ball and chain. I'm really, the, the tension of the string and the, the flying the right wood and the flex and all the rest, that's my yeah. thing. So I think at the moment there's a lot of people going, oh, no, we're, we're making, uh, 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 I was going to say, uh, like, mustard gas. But not because I'm <laughs> suggesting there's anything evil about the work of anyone. But you know what I mean? It's like a whole different, sub, a whole different set of yeah. things. New weapons. New weapons. <laughs> this is a very complicated analogy. Um, 
Yeah, I know I know what you mean. But uh, yeah, so I, just whether or not you think it goes in waves, and if it does go in waves, then do you have another plan for what you might do if it becomes less... If suddenly, if you're here in five years' time and there's a hundred clowny worldy engineer shows, mm. do you have plans for what you might do instead or where else it could go next or what you would like to pursue next? Yeah, I'm, I'm really scared of becoming like... Uh... A, a sort of um, what's the word? Kind of like boy with tape on his face. Like you know what that show is. Like I'd rather be a guy who makes a vi- like next year. I'd really love to try something quite different, but sure. I'm very scared of doing that. Like I'm really scared to go. Like okay, where else does this comedy thing lie? People expect me to be this like physical comedian, and I love doing it as well. So I don't know. I, I I am scared that I'll get stuck in this uh, in this little wave of popularity of popular physical comedy stuff that's happening at the moment. But uh, I don't know. I don't really think about it too much. I don't. I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on where I stand in comedy because I kind I feel like I try and be a bit foot inside theatre as well. Um. I don't. I don't know. I don't feel I'm so deeply immersed in it that it's going to affect me deeply. I don't. Uh, it's, a really, <laughs> it's a really tough question. I. It's. Um, I. I. I want to be the guy that makes us something new. I want to try and. I don't know. Like explore myself. Like what it is that is trivially waking sure funny. And then go. Ah, there you go, everyone. And. And, you know, like what Dr. Brown did. Or like what um, Kim Noble is doing. Like, I went and saw his show last night. It's amazing. It's really good. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's a lot I don't know, and I can't answer your question. And you're just looking at me silently, and I don't... And I'm digging myself into a hole. You're not digging yourself into a hole at all. I was very... I'm, I was interested to see where that thought was going because you got a very far away look in your eyes. You were sort of looking into the rest of the world. Yeah. And I was interested to see... I was also... Let the record clearly state, I was smiling at you because I wasn't staring at you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you were smiling at me. It wasn't weird I don't want to go out to Stu's podcast. He just stares at you. <laughs> this is Stu's new thing, being quiet. Um... What advice would you give to young Trig v. Wakenshaw? Oh, whoa. Uh, young Trig v. Wakenshaw. Um, I don't know. He's done pretty well. I don't think he needs advice. Anything I tell him is going to be ridiculous. Uh, a, pe- a, pe- a thing, a piece of advice, though. I don't know if Trig v. needs it because he's... He's, oh, he's, he's okay. He falls for it sometimes. He's going to be okay. So Trigvi, the guy who's kind of looking in at Trigvi, enjoying himself and yeah. thinking, oh, I want to do this. What advice have you got for him? My, well, it's sort of, it's a little bit around the doing things, which is just don't be, don't be so cynical about other comedians, I think, and like what other, and other shows, like especially bad shows. Go and see bad shows and, I really like all that stuff. Like, you know how there are those people that sometimes, that are just really negative and critical of everyone else's work? And I think it's a bad way to be, because you're not, 
You may like these people, whoever it is, even if they made a terrible, terrible show, they, they made it. They sat in a room, probably, and wrote down this is like stupid ideas, and they did it badly, and it was awful, and it was a waste of your hour. But they, they did it, <laughs> and then you have to like appreciate them for that. You can go like it's a terrible show, but it, you have to love that people are making just stuff. Volume. <laughs> Just make heaps more comedy, everyone. Thanks, man. So that was Trig V. Thank you very much to him for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, thank you to Ben Lund Conlon for this week's Podmin. Thanks, Ben. And uh, thank you also to Nathan Wood, who co-produced this week's episode. Back next week with David Cross. Look forward to that. I'll speak to you then. And remember, if you would like to donate, you can do that at comedianscomedian.com. All your donations gratefully received. And if you don't fancy donating, then please feel free to share the show with a friend. Point them at the YouTube channel uh, or at any of these episodes on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.